want to read a couple of verses to set the stage today in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 14, which gets us on day 4 of creation. Genesis 1, chapter 4, <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 says as follows. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day and the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So I was struck on a camping trip we went on this weekend by the moon and the stars. And where we were at, there was a, a bridge over part of the lake, and we were out there in the evening and could see the moon and the stars really well. And it was just really, really beautiful. And then later that night, laying in a hammock, you could see the stars up above the trees. And I had this thought. It was beautiful. And those are the same stars and the same moon that have been there since that chapter I just read. Now, I've never been somewhere where there really is no we call it today light pollution, electrical lights, to see the stars and all their beauty. But I've talked to people who have, and apparently it's unbelievably stunning. I remember a pastor who came and, and preached a sermon. I don't think this was the, the topic, but I still remember it to this day. I was, I was probably 18, and he had taken a group of college students to the Amazon. And they were doing some mission work, and they went canoeing down the river one night, and they came out into a wide spot. And the person who was giving them their tour said, everybody be quiet, stop paddling, and just look up. And I guess it was just amazing. When you get far enough away from anything that competes with it, it was just stunning to see the, the stars and the moon. In ways that, I, again, I've never seen it. I think it's so breathtaking and so beautiful, it makes sense that in Deuteronomy we're actually warned not to worship them. I'll read that for you real quickly. Deuteronomy 4.19 says, And beware lest you raise your eyes to the heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, that you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God had allotted to all people under the whole heavens. See, this is how I think we miss that the stars and the moon are so beautiful and so amazing and so powerful that it can draw people into worship them and not the creator of them. And so rather than us worshiping the stars and the moon, they're to be a sign to remind us that his steadfast love endures forever. And so, as I said, I was just struck with this idea that this is the same moon and the same stars. The same moon and the same stars that Adam and Eve looked up at. 
You can go out tonight and see them. These are the same moon and the same stars that Noah, when the world was unrecognizable and covered completely with water, opened the single window in the ark and looked at, waiting for the water to go down. These are the same stars and the same moon that when God told Abraham, walk before me into a land that you've never been before, that he saw. These are the same moon and the same stars that Jacob slept under and wrestled with God. The same moon and the same stars that the children of Israel camped under as they left Egypt. The same moon and the same stars that Gideon defeated the enemy by smashing pots and encircling them. It's the same moon and the same stars that allowed Nehemiah to take his donkey along the wall at night to inspect it to see what needed to be done. The same moon and the same stars that allowed Nicodemus to come to Christ in the cover of darkness. The same moon and the same stars that no doubt the disciples sat around a campfire and looked at. Same moon and the same stars that Paul was lowered in a basket down from a wall and snuck away when they were trying to kill him. The same moon and the same stars that Christ walked on water underneath out to his disciples. And the same ones that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane under. The same ones that were still shining bright when the church, early church, was persecuted. And all of my ancestors saw the same one. We could go on and on with this, couldn't we? The reality is that really until about 80 years ago, we saw these every night and marveled at them. I'm just curious, does anyone in here remember getting electricity at your house for the first time? How many of you know a relative, a grandparent, or a parent who got it for the first time? Remember hearing those stories? A lot of us. I remember the dear pastor that Amy and I sat under for years would talk about riding a horse to church and the time that he got electricity at his house. It seems amazing to think of how things have changed. And the reason I bring all this up is because everything else in life has changed. I believe the rest of the Genesis account. I believe that God made everything here. But what I also believe is that over the last several thousand years, things have changed. The state park that we were at, I read one of the placards, and it says that none of this looked this way just 40 years before. It was all farmland, and they allowed it to grow up into a forest. It's a young forest. And 40 years before that, it was probably a forest, and they cut it down and made it farmland. And I don't know before that. What we know is that the world changes over time. We know that it looks different than it was during the flood, after it was covered with water for a long period of time. We know that there are ice forms that come and move mountains. There are earthquakes. There are things that change. The trees that we look at, while made by God, were not the ones originally made by God. But the stars and the moon, they're the same. They're the same. The same ones that I see are the same ones that everyone has seen who's ever had eyes. The same stars and the same moon that all mankind looked to, waiting for a Savior, 
are the same ones I look to, and I'm thankful that he came. Psalm 8, 3 through 6. I mentioned my, the sermon I heard when I was in college. My freshman year, I took a Bible class and we had to memorize scripture. This is one of them. Psalms 8, 3 through 6. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? See, somehow when we can clearly see the stars and we think about how long they've been there, we're mindful of the fact that not only did God make them, but that he cares about us. How insignificant are we when we look at the sky at night and realize how great it is and how long it's been here, how unchanging it is that I am here for just a brief amount of time, that he actually cares about me. It's amazing that God is mindful of me. It's the same moon and the same stars that we've all seen through history. And if you see my theme for sameness, there's two other things I want to talk about that are the same this morning. The other one is Jesus Christ. Because Hebrews 13 and 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, so while we look out and see the same stars and the same moon, the reality is that Jesus Christ is the same today as he was yesterday and as he will be tomorrow. Jesus Christ always is, as a member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Christ existed before the foundations of the world. He exists now, and he will exist when this world passes away. He simply is. And that is is the same. And he declared as much, John 8, 58, said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And as I've mentioned before, the Hebrews knew exactly what he was claiming, to be co-equal with God, because in the next verse, they picked up stones to kill him over it. There was no mincing words. They didn't miss anything. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying, that I am the equivalent of God that I have never changed, that I always was and always will be and always am. See, God is immutable. That's a big word for it means doesn't change. God doesn't change. He is the same. Malachi 4 through 6 says, I, For I, the Lord, do not change. Psalms 102.27 says, But you are the same, and your eyes have your years have no end. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They, will, uh, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, everything else in life comes to an end. Everything. In fact, the scriptures tell you, and I didn't pick one because there's a lot of them, at some point, the stars and the moon, they're gone too. The one thing that has been the same since the beginning of creation, at some point, will not be the same. But the only thing that will remain forever and forever be the same is God. God is here. God will be here in the future. And God was there in the past. God is there at all times. In fact, he is outside of time because he made time. And how do we tell time? 
on the sun and the moon and the stars. They're set there for seasons for us to go through different periods in life. We are subject to time because God made it, and so therefore he is not subject to it. How much longer will all this be going on? I don't know. But we know that the scriptures tell us that a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And so in some way, you could say we haven't even made it through a week in God's perspective, even though it seems like a very long time. But to him, what has been is, and what will be is. Ever thought about that? Yeah, there is a future for us, but the future is present to God because he is outside of time. And we have a past, but the past is present to God because he is outside of time, because he is above time, because he is above the seasons, the change in the moon and the stars and the cycling of the world that he has set into place. So we have the same moon and the same stars currently. We have the same God. And all the examples I just gave you, the God that Abraham followed is the same God today. He's not any different. The God that did all the miracles in the Old Testament is the same God today. The God that had the power to raise people from the dead is the same God today. The God that they worshipped then is the same God that we worship now. The same God, I'm sorry, the same moon and the stars that guided Abraham, the same ones that guide me today. And the same God that guided Abraham also guide me today. But where I really want to spend a few minutes to focus is something else that's the same. We have the same moon and the same stars. We have the same God who doesn't change. But we as believers in God have the same spirit. As amazing as it is to sit back and think about the relationship that I share with you and with everyone who's ever lived with the same moon and the same stars, my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather saw the same ones. The Apostle Paul saw the same ones. David saw the same ones. Adam and Eve saw the same ones. What I also share is the Spirit of God. That same spirit that rested upon them rests upon me as well as a believer. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through I think about 14. And as I read this, I want you to notice how many times it says same or one or some other term that indicates the sameness and oneness. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, and to the other faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another 
the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, that all were made to drink of one spirit. You see, brothers and sisters, when we are saved, When we are forgiven our sins, God sends the spirit of him to live inside of us. And that same spirit is not given differently to different people. Yes, we have different talents, different abilities, but we have the same spirit living inside of me. And it is those spirits, that spirit that communes with one another. That's why sometimes when you meet another believer, you somehow know it. Why? Because you have The same spirit, the spirit of God, the same one lives in us. Ephesians 4 and 4 says this, there is uh, one body and one spirit, just as you were called the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all through all and in all. All. So that same spirit is in all of us who believe. Now it's very difficult for us to understand Christ. I want to hold that oneness for just a minute. Let me talk about this for a second. Christ came to earth. As I said, he always was and always will be. And Christ came to earth and lived in a physical body. And as much as I really can't fully explain it satisfactorily, the scriptures teach us that he was fully man and fully God at the same time. Fully God and fully man at the same time. He had to be a man because he had to be able to die, but he had to be God because he had to be completely innocent. Sometimes we can't understand this, and maybe whether we admit it or not, we think about it like proportionality. Like maybe he was like 80% God and 20% human. No, he was 100% man and 100% God. But here's an interesting question, and I'm asking this because I don't really fully know the answer. At least I'm not convinced as much. How much did Jesus Christ, when he lived in a humanly body, actually know about the future? Did he have a fully developed mind when he was an infant and understood exactly what everyone was saying? Or did he have to learn to speak Hebrew? Did he just know how to make all these wood items or did his father have to teach him how to do it? Did he know exactly who he was supposed to heal or was it that he was listening to the spirit that God put in his life and he had to obey what the spirit told him to do? You ever thought about this before? How much did Jesus Christ actually know? I I really don't know. Here's my guess. And I'll admit this is a guess. Why'd y'all laugh? Here's my guess. If Jesus Christ is an example of how we are to live, 
right? I think, my guess, I think that he was like us and that he had to depend on the Holy Spirit to know what to do and how to do it. Some of you didn't like that. I think the Spirit gave him guidance like the Spirit gives us guidance. I think the Spirit revealed things to him like the Spirit will reveal things to us if we walk like we should. See, the difference is he didn't let his will get in the way. I let my will get in the way. Sometimes God reveals things to me, gives me instructions, tells me to be obedient, and I choose not to do those things. And we can all raise our hands there, can't we? Christ was never disobedient. He always did what the Father told him to do. And the Father told him to do those things, I think, partially through the Spirit. And so the point that I want to make is, I think that the same Spirit that led and guided Jesus Christ is the same Spirit that, if you have been saved by Him, is in you today. That's why the Scriptures tell us that if we have faith, we can move a mountain. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think that's metaphorical. I think it's real. I think it takes a little bit of faith and the power of the Spirit that doesn't change living inside of you to do miracles. Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Acts 13.52 talks about the Spirit filling the disciples with joy in the Holy Spirit. So I think the same Spirit that fills Christ fills you. I think the same Spirit that led Moses and told him what to do and what Aaron to speak leads you. I think the same spirit that inspired Isaiah inspires us. I think the same spirit that gave Daniel and Joshua and Peter and Paul and so many others courage gives us courage today. I think that same spirit that hovers over the face of the deep, if you'd read the first part of the creation story, hovers over us today. And I think the same spirit that lives in me lives in my parents and my grandparents and lived in all of my relatives if they knew the Lord. I believe that all those who've been saved received the same spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so the scriptures make it very clear that once you are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that allows all of us to do different things at different times and in different ways, but it is the same Spirit. So while we can sit back this evening and look at the stars and the moon and think that those are the same ones that my great-grandparents watched, those are the same ones that Adam and Eve saw, those are the same ones that Moses, 
that Jesus Christ looked up and saw, we can also realize that we have a legacy, a heritage of everyone who has believed in Christ and followed after him receives the same spirit. What are you going to do with it? We're not the same in any other way. I think it's the spirit that binds us across time, across age, across sex, across nationality, or race, or language, or culture, or ability, or disability. Everything comes into unity when we remember as believers we have the same spirit. Ephesians tells us with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So this is what we have in common. And this is why no matter where you go in the world, no matter when you went, it's not necessarily where you lived or when you lived or what your denomination is, what the color of your skin is, or how old you are. It's whether or not you have the same spirit. Not a different one, but the same one. And it unites all of us in love. And this is why we're supposed to love one another. A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to also love one another. Brothers and sisters, I say that because we are told to call each other brothers and sisters because I think we share the same spirit and we are to love one another, to go out of our way for one another. As I mentioned before, at some point the moon and the stars, they go away. But the spirit of God lasts forever. I think this is encouragement for us to know that we have the same spirit that's living inside of me and the same one that's living inside of you and the same one that was in Christ when he was here. The same one that will be with us forever. And so we can say, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And so I wonder today, as I've mentioned, this is the same spirit. But that same spirit isn't automatic like it might be tonight if you look up and see a moon or the stars. The same spirit, in order to fill you, requires that you have faith in Jesus Christ. It requires that you be saved from your sins. It requires that you are convicted of your sins, that you repent for your sins, and that you ask Him to save you. And when you are saved, then the Spirit of God is placed in you, as the Scriptures say, as a guarantee of the things to come, and also to guide you, so that we, all of us, may be unified with one mind, one heart, one purpose, to do the will of God, if we would but get out of the way. And so I wonder today, do you have the same spirit living inside of you? Have you been convicted? Have you sought for forgiveness? Have you asked in faith to receive the spirit? 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Because the reality is, if you haven't been saved, then we don't have this in common. And this is a tragedy. Just as much as it would be a tragedy to not be able to share the night sky with generations past would be to have more of a tragedy. It would be to not know the Lord. And so I wonder today, do you know the Lord? Do you consider, when I look at your heaven, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? See, all this was set in motion for you. That you might come to a saving faith of the Lord God. That you might put your trust in him that you might follow after him, that he might put his spirit inside of you so that then you could be in communication with him, that you can live a life worthy of the calling that he has given you and that you can go one day beyond the stars into heaven, that you can receive a reward and live with him for all eternity. And so as we have a hymn, I want you to consider this. I want these words to echo in your ear. What is man that you are mindful of him? Because God knows who you are. Because he made you. And God wants you to know him. God wants you to have the same spirit living inside of you. God wants you to be united with him forever. And God has given you an opportunity today. If you will pray to him and to seek that out.